Thank you, Julie. Thank you guys so much for, um, for extending such warm hospitality to my husband and I. Uh, coming from Texas, we are accustomed to hospitality, and so it is uh, much appreciated. And um, it's just been such a blessing to, to get to know uh, the folks in this area. And uh, last night, it was um, an exciting time with uh, the Vineyard uh, worship team was here as well, and the worship this morning was so beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, so just uh, something that came to mind as uh, Julia was praying, um, I had a different title for this, but I'm going to change that. And, um, you know, when we talk about revival that we want to see happen, we're normally, like if a church historian is talking to you about revivals, they're talking about large-scale revivals that sweep a whole region or nation, or, and it starts in small church community a lot of times. It starts with a small group of people that have been investing in prayer, and then this revival starts to build and build and build, and then it's almost like, um, you know, have you ever seen that a wildfire can jump a highway? You know, and and just the way that it can ignite across the ocean, people come to where the revival is happening, and then, um, so like folks that went to the Toronto Blessing, and then Brownsville Revival started after that, and just all of these pockets of revival all around the world. And, And so we can continue to pray and press in for that. I think we should always be asking for something large scale like that, an awakening that the Lord can do that starts with people in earnest prayer with the Lord for that next big thing because salvations come and, and, and cultures shift and that is something we should long for. But what I'm going to talk to you today about is, is how to ignite a personal revival a revival that is rooted in an intimacy with God. And, and sometimes I talk about this in, in the terms of like awakenings, that I've had these, these various awakenings that are progressive in my, in my faith, that God's like, okay, now that I've done this awakening in you, now it's time for this next thing. And then you, you, you learn and you grow and you walk in that for a way, and he goes, okay, now this awakening is next. And so I want to talk to you about that. What are those, how do you uh, position yourself to hear from the Lord for what your personal revival is, your personal next awakening? How do you, how do you get to that um, availability to the Lord? And it was actually what I focused on for my doctoral project at United, um, intimacy with God and being able to hear his voice. How could I help Methodists, United Methodists, I'm one of you, so when I say it like that, I mean it, you know, how do I help United Methodists um, reclaim what their heritage is in in Wesley and the movement that happened with Wesley, and then also uh, to just to hear from God so that you were available for that next thing that God has to awaken in you. And so I found that, that the times that that happened with me were moments of complete and utter surrender. Like, like a, okay, God, just wipe it clean, whatever my, preconcept, you know, my preconceived thoughts are of how this should go, of what's, 
what my ministry is going to be like. So I'm going to share a few of those awakenings with you so that we can um, be on the same page. You can kind of track with me. And I'm going to take you to um, Hebrews 10. So you can get your Bibles out, just set them aside to Hebrews 10, because this is the way that it's been made so that we can have this kind of intimacy with God. So the first one is, well, this is not the first one. I mean, the first one was me accepting a call to become, um, to, to ministry. And I shared a little bit about that last night. And then, um, but after that, one of the struggles that I had, I was called to, to ministry at 17, and yet um, I had no idea what that meant. And the number one thing that I started to encounter, especially when I went off to college, was what does that mean? And you know, when you're trying to like go on a date or you're out with your girlfriends in Austin on 6th Street, yes, that did happen. And, and, you know, you're, you're standing there, some guy's like, hey, what are you up to? And the first thing that any college person asks each other, what's your major? That's always what they ask. And so, um, you know, my major was religious studies, which is real sexy. <laughs> so, and so, they were, so finally I just was like, I'm just going to make these guys guess, you know, and then just keep, you know, hanging around long enough because every time what would happen is, Oh, my friend just came in. I, 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 gotta, I gotta go. I gotta see you. And so, uh, so eventually they would, they, uh, you know, I was like, well, just guess. And so my girlfriend felt bad for this one guy. She goes, well, it starts with an R. And he goes, reading? I said, you know, my friend just came in. I, I gotta go. <laughs> so, so what I started to encounter was that I did not want to be this different. I didn't want to be that exposed and, and I, you know, I felt like I, I just, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to not be um, so called out. And it was a real struggle. I also did not want to be called to ministry if it meant I was going to be having to be single. I knew a lot of female pastors who were single or divorced uh, or who had never married. And uh, it was a problem for me. <laughs> I, was, um, I wasn't happy about it. And so one time, I, I, it was just coming to a head. It was coming to a, a, a climax with the, the way that I was being resistant to the Lord for this. And it was really impeding my ability to grow uh, in the ways that he needed me to grow because I was so resistant to fully surrendering what it might look like to walk in, in my call. And so, as you can tell, I'm married. So let me get you there. And so one night, I was at seminary, and I was in my room, and I just thought, you know, this is just untenable. I have to give this over to the Lord. got on my knees, and I just fully surrendered. I said, God, I'm not going to like it, but if you need me to be single to be in ministry, I'll do it. Your call is too important to me. I know it's 100% accurate. And so, Lord, if that's what you need me to do so that I can be in ministry with you, then that's fine. And so, and so it was honest, because I said I wasn't going to like it, but I knew he would work on my heart with that. One month later, I met this guy. And so you can see how, like, it, that was such an impediment, but that surrender brought breakthrough. I didn't know it was going to lead to me, you know, finding my husband, but um, God wants those areas of resistance to be broken off of you because more can come, more uh, and, and a fullness in it and a harmony with the Lord. And then there might also be course corrections, course corrections that he needs to do in your life. 
So I was pastoring in Austin. I was, um, it was my um, first, like I was officially on a staff. I did internships in seminary when I was at Duke. But this was the first time I was actually like on a staff. And, and I was working 60, 70, 75 hours a week. Uh, you know, the list of jobs at the church, however long they are, was like 70% were areas that I was supposed to be overseeing. And uh, we were, you know, medium to fairly large-sized church. And I just was exhausted, and I felt like no one was changing. I wasn't changing. I wasn't growing. I was putting all this time and effort in, and there wasn't any fruit that I could, you know, see from it. And it was coming to a head. I mean, I had only been in ministry for like four years, and I was on the verge of burnout. And uh, we had just had a pastoral change. We had a new pastor that came in with his wife. And I saw in them something that I knew my husband and I were missing. Now, now I can say it was the Holy Spirit. And it's not that I didn't have access to the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't surrendered enough to move and walk in the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I mean? And maybe you've had that in your own life where there's a shift and now there's a more fullness of walking in the gifts of the Spirit. And so I saw that in them and I was like, I, I got to get away with God. I've got to get away with him, unplug from the culture so that I can, I thought that this month-long sabbatical I was about to take was so that I could rest and rejuvenate to keep doing what I had been doing when I went back after my month. So I had, you know, I unplugged from social media and all that stuff, and I, I get in, in, and this is what I was thinking. It's just a time of rest for me. And then I feel the Lord say, oh, no, no, we have to talk. <laughs> we have to talk. And um, before we go to Hebrews, I'm going to take you to John 17. So I was reading in um, my bedroom one day, and I, and I spent this, these days basically uh, worshiping, praying, reading scripture, um, uh, not going out very much at all. And, uh, and I did not realize how much I needed that and how much that helped me have the Lord's attention and his attention on me, for me to, to be able to receive and hear from him. And so as I was reading through John 17, starting in verse uh, 15, these words from Jesus, Jesus is praying. He's praying for the disciples. Um, he's praying for the world. And here he says in John 15 and on, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And when I, and I read that, I felt the Lord say to me, I need you to see what you've added that's not here. In other words, I need you to see what you're adding to this whole Christianity thing and the teaching stuff that's not actually truth. I need you to see that there is truth, and I need you to search for that truth. And so I was completely convicted. It shifted my um, priorities of my time of study, and all of a sudden, I, ha I was gifted by the Lord with a gift of faith that there was such a thing as ultimate truth that transcends time, transcends matter, 
Before anything was created, Jesus was, right? We're told that. So, so no matter what generation you live in or what decade you were born into, what country that you live in, there is a truth that supersedes all of that and informs it. And I was definitely doing it the other way around. The cultural influence on me was, was very strong, and I was interpreting here and adding to it that which was not here. Do you see that? And so that correction, that course correction that changed the trajectory of my life and ministry and the trajectory of our marriage together, God was doing this work on him at the same time. And it all came from the quiet place, from the surrender time with the Lord. You see that? An awakening that can change the course of your life and your ministry and your entire family and the generations that come after you. So when I say that it's important that you are in a place of surrender with the Lord and intimacy with him where you can hear his voice, I absolutely mean it. I am a testimony to what can happen because you get into that secret place with the Lord. And the more frequently that it is, the more of the life that you live this way, the easier it is to understand what, when and what the Lord is speaking, to recognize his voice, and then to also walk in that obedience to what he's trying to, trying to do and say. And so, I mean, just to give you an example, there was one time I was uh, on a ministry team at this one place in Houston. My husband and I were going around with a ministry team praying, people that were asking for prayer. And I walk up to this young lady, and I had been praying already with others. I walked up to this one lady, and all of a sudden I felt nervous, like really, really nervous. And like my heart and everything was racing. And I was like, that's really weird. And because of being able to, to I would not have, it would not have ever dawned on me that this is what was happening. I actually just said, honey, are you nervous? She goes, yeah. I was getting a word of knowledge from God that she was panicked coming up to get prayer like this. And then I said, that's fine. I'm getting your nervousness. The Lord's sharing that with me. Now, what does that do? Number one, it tells the young lady that God sees her, right? God knows, and, and it affirms her willingness to come forward. Hopefully, it also liberates her from that feeling of nervousness. It helps me to know how to pray better for her, and all of that comes with learning how, how you're hearing from God. God, is this you? Is this something? And then being, you know, just bold enough to ask. And if she had said, no, I'm not nervous, then I would have thought, okay, well, Lord, why am I nervous? <laughs> what is happening right now? Or get behind me, Satan, or whatever it is that's trying to impede me from doing this ministry, right? And so there's a dialogue with the Lord. So, um, so I focus my, my dissertation on this. How do I help Methodists go deeper with the Lord? And the first thing, I did um, a project, which was a retreat, and I also ended up creating a 30-day devotional challenge, which was like, it's different spiritual gifts for how you, or spiritual disciplines, and ways that maybe uh, you've done a lot of different kinds of spiritual disciplines before in prayer, but maybe these are new, and uh, just kind of seeing what clicks for you and how you can hear from God. And then I had to measure people's ability, like, was there more growth in hearing from God afterwards? You know, it was really interesting. At the retreat, though, we went over a few things. First of all, we went over the character of God. 
Because if you believe, as I said last night, that God is the Godfather instead of God the Father, then you might not be able to to receive that intimacy with him because there's a a block there. You're seeing him as as one who who punishes or enforces his will. Or I know that my husband before he came to faith and he like knew of God and like had God language that he might use, it was always that God was persecuting him. You know, how come I can't meet anybody? How come all this, you know, God, you know, why, why are you picking on me? That sort of thing. You would affirm that, right? And then that, so his view of God was definitely an inhibitor for him having some sort of surrendered intimacy with him. You see that? And so how do we get the right view of God so that we can, uh, we can enter into that boldness? And then we talked about how Christ makes that way. Not only does he reveal the, the character and the, the goodness of God, the power of God, the love of God, but he also actually made a way for us with his death and resurrection. So in Hebrews, I'm going to take you there, Hebrews 10, which I told you before to turn to. All right, so it's talking about the high priest um, in the Jewish system where the high priest would offer the sacrifices for the people for the forgiveness of their sins, and he would go behind the veil. Only that one, after he was cleansed himself, would enter into the Holy of Holies and make the blood sacrifice, and then he would come out, and that was, there was a veil there, you remember? And so when Jesus dies, it says in Scripture, the veil to the Holy of Holies, was rent from where? Top to bottom. And I imagine it was left a little bit at the bottom, like one little thread, just so that you'd know it went from the top to the bottom. Something's got, you know, they knew. And, or maybe they were in there when it happened and they saw it rend from top to bottom. And so then it says, that, the, that Jesus made the sacrifice for us once and for all. So now we get to boldly enter through that rent veil into this holy place. So in 1019, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Where? The most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so Christ actually makes it possible for us to live in the reality of this intimacy with God in the most holy place. You are invited. It is by design. It is one of the benefits of God's children to be able to be with the Lord in that secret place to receive course corrections from him, to receive encouragement from him when you need that encouragement. And it's also a place where not only is it about what God needs to minister to you, but you get to worship and minister to the Father. Minister is a strange word to use when we talk about to the Father, right? But it is, you know, an adoration, giving thanksgiving, 
But also the secret place is about that listening time. Really listening for what the Lord has next for you or what he wants to do. And, and that only really works, and you have a huge part to play in this, when your heart is in an attitude of surrender. Say, God, I might not have it all figured out. Even if I've been a Christian since the time I was born and I've read this Bible backwards and forwards, you know the areas where I am still not right on your path or in your sight. You still know those things that need to be pruned. I don't have this fully figured out. I mean, oh, maybe, maybe somebody here does. That would be, you need to come to United and help me in my program. But you see what I'm saying? Does anybody here feel like they've got it entirely figured out? Because guess what? We need to pray for you. <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. But we all have areas to grow. We all have, but I, I'm going to pray this morning for an increase of that hunger to surrender. Because it's not natural for us, right? That's why it's a white flag, right? It's like the last resort before death. It's, okay, I'm going to surrender. Can we not live like that as Christians? Like the last resort before I die. Okay, God, I'll give it to you, right? Okay, finally this, I, I have exhausted every other possibility to solve this problem. God, there's, you're the only one left. Okay, so here. That's, that doesn't feel great, does it? That's how we live. That's how we walk all the time as Christians. We're going to hold so tightly because we think that it's, we don't want to bother God. We don't want to bother him. Like he's got so many things to do. So, so my stuff is too, too small for that. You know, God cares. He cares about every little thing. When John Wesley started to realize the power of God that was moving, that, that was absolutely God and not him, but he was surrendered to it, he was becoming more willing, he prayed one time, I mean, he, on his horse, they, he rode uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. And one day, his horse slipped his shoe, and they were somewhere where it could not be fixed. And he prayed for his horse, and it was healed, it was restored. Now, imagine Wesley's like, well, I'm not going to bother God with that one, okay? I'm just going to let this one, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go walk, you know, five miles that way until I get. But he prayed and the Lord came. The Lord saw him. He saw his circumstances with him. And so the more open that you are with, the, with what's on your heart with the Lord, the better. The more access that you give God, the more access, the more that he gets to partner with you. And when I started to step into this more, and my husband as well, and we started to ask God to speak more continuously in our lives and in our hearts, and we, we learned better how to listen, guess what happened? You know, God's kind of chatty. He's not an absent God. You know, when we, uh, last night I mentioned that a lot of times we can live like Christian atheists where we have something that we declare with our mouth, but then when we're walking every day in our lives, we're just like an atheist, like it doesn't even matter. That actually is maybe more appropriately called a deist, right? You believe that there is such a God, but that he is completely and utterly removed from your reality, that he is not an active God. He is not interacting with his people. And in other words, there's no point of praying if you're a deist, because there's no... 
nothing that is expected of God to interact in the world. Now, unfortunately, a lot of us are walking around as deists and we don't even know it. We're praying and we're not even expecting, you know, that there would be something that would change. Or, or maybe our expectation is 1%. You see? And I've been there too. But how do you, how do you start to, to surrender more and more so that you move from being a deist into being a Christian which is walking in partnership with the Lord, hearing from him, receiving discernment, realizing how to pray in a situation, realizing that your nerves maybe aren't to do with you, but might be something God's trying to say and share with this young lady, that God sees her. Now, there's a lot of benefits to why we would want to live this way. And first of all, we're told in Scripture that this is a good and right way to live. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, Paul is, is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says in verses uh, 10 to 16, so 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 16, he says, but it, was us, um, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. In other words, that Paul's ministry was being directed by the Holy Spirit. There was revelation he was receiving, direction that he was receiving. For his spirit searches out everything. His spirit can search out everything. So if you're in conflict, let's say, with someone in your church or your family, the spirit can search out everything in them and everything in you and every obstacle that needs to be overcome for reconciliation the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now that means that there's, the Holy Spirit is also revealing the deep things of God that we need more of. It says, no, no one uh, can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And, so, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. And so he goes on to say, when we, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But, God, but people who aren't spiritual, they can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual, in other words, not in the sense of modern times where we say spiritual, like, I'm so spiritual, right? But that you're connected with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Only then can you understand what the Spirit means. Those who are in the Spirit, they can evaluate all things, and, but they themselves can be evaluated, cannot be evaluated by others. And here he says, For we can know the Lord's thoughts, we can, who, who knows enough to teach him. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. That's what we're after. When you go into that secret place with the Lord, when you go into that secret place with God and you say, God, what do you need to do? I'm surrendered to you. It's so that you can better know and walk and live in the mind of Christ. And it will show you things about yourself. It will show you those areas that will bring a great awakening, a personal revival, 
a reinvigoration. Perhaps you're tired. Perhaps you've been doing this thing a long time. You feel like you're spinning your wheels, and it's been a long time since you've had a revelation from God. Say, go to him and surrender and say, God, I just, I want that next thing. I want that more of you. I want you to show me something and, and let the Holy Spirit prompt you. Come into agreement with the Holy Spirit. In those deep places, when we allow ourselves to be fully accessible to God, there's a lot that can happen. So my father-in-law, um, he, uh, his faith has really come alive in the last couple of years. And before that, he was growing in his curiosity um, his mo- your, your mother has been, you know, a, a Christian. I put it like this because, like, she had a Bible, and, and that was, like, kind of it, right? But she, so she's also been growing, but I want to focus on his father. His family, they have around five siblings amongst them, and, um, and, and his dad is a little bit of a rascal, but he's really just a lot of fun. He's a really sweet guy, really nice guy, very loving, generous guy. Um, but man, would he butt heads with like one, one or two of his sisters in particular. They were closest in age, I think. One, it didn't help one Christmas. Uh, they weren't really that well off and, in England. And um, his parents gave the sister he didn't get along with and him one roller skate each. So that really doesn't help things when you're trying to like grow to, you know, as a family. And so they just really butted heads and um, there was a fence, you know, and uh, slights that had happened over the course of their time and his brother and sister. And, um, but, but then he had started to come a- a- awake in his faith and was uh, learning more. And we were amazed when he shared with us that one day he, he um, w- went to go see his mom and dad. And it was a day that the sisters should not have been there, but they were there. And as he, like, knocks on the door through the window, he can see them, like, scurrying up the stairs so that they can avoid him, right? And so I don't even, before he knocks, they just saw that his car had arrived. So while he's standing at the door, he says a surrender prayer. He says, Holy Spirit, give me your words to speak. This is really amazing to us that he did this. God, I need your help. Give me words to speak. And so he knocks, he goes inside as they're scurrying up the stairs, and he's just like overcome with peace and chill. He's sitting there with his mother at the table. The girls come down the stairs. They all sit around the table, and they chat like there's nothing that's ever happened. And he was just overcome with peace. And now they are reconciled as a family. They still, they, they uh, get together now. We just were over there a couple years ago before the pandemic. And got to, I got to meet her for the first time, this particular sister, right? And it was because he took that pause. He, he said, God, you speak your words. Give me your heart type of prayer for this situation, So when you're in those places of intimacy with God, here are some of the benefits. You receive direction, course correction. You receive wisdom that is not human wisdom, but that is beyond that, that is something that God can can just breathe new life into situations and, and release his wisdom. You receive words to speak that you would not have had, attitudes of engagement that you would not have 
have naturally felt, right? It's not natural for us. And you also get to walk more freely in the fruit of the Spirit. Things that, like, like every one of us has looked at the list of the fruits of the Spirit, you know, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of that, and we know the one that is the hardest for us to consistently walk in. For some of you, it might be gentleness. Maybe you're just a very abrupt person. I know I work with somebody that is just like, she's from the Bronx uh, or Brooklyn, and it's just like, hey, man, this is what, you, I'm just going to say it. Now, she always says what I'm thinking, but I don't, wouldn't say it that way. <laughs> but I've, and then so I have to posture myself to know this is not about like how she's talking to me. This is just, you know, this is part of her personality. But all of us can be praying to grow in gentleness or in self-control. The Holy Spirit does that in that secret place. He can do that work in you. And so maybe that's where you start. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm hearing you, but where do I start with this? Maybe start there. Lord, which fruit of the Spirit is the hardest for me to walk in? Show it to me. Tell me what it is. And then help me to do it. And just let him do that bit of transformation in you. Like I said before, <clears throat> surrender is not in our nature. It's not something that comes naturally to us. And don't let yourself get to the point where you are so desperate that, that you finally go to God as a last resort. He should be our first appointment our first stop. And I'm not saying that you don't go see doctors and you don't do all of that. Yes, please do that. Don't, that you don't get therapy, that you don't see professionals. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, how do we live in that intimate partnership with God? Because yes, we receive a lot from it, direction, all of that. But it is about just being with God and being able to learn how to love him well. How do I love you more, Lord? Us as pastors, we're not the water. We're meant to lead you to the water. And then you're meant to drink from the water, not stare at the water like narcissists. Right? That's what we do a lot of times. We stare at the water and we wonder why we're so thirsty well, I'm here at the water. It's not enough. You got to drink it. You got to let it be part of you. You have to let the Lord hydrate you. You have to let the Lord just overcome you. And that's where those personal revivals and awakenings come from. I'm going to pray that release for you for that next thing that God wants to do, that personal revival. And then after that, um, the band is going to come up. They're gonna, we're going to sing together. But during that song, my husband and I, and I know Julie and others are going to be, I think Dwayne's going to help. We're going to be kind of around if you would like prayer. Maybe you want prayer for physical healing this morning. Maybe you want prayer for something emotional. Or maybe you want prayer just to be activated for the more that God has for you or that next thing, that deeper place of intimacy with God. And you, you just want us to lay hands on you for that. So you're welcome to come up during that song. Let's pray together. God, you know us so much more than we know ourselves. You know the next healthy awakening for us that's going to allow the, the one after that and the one after that to grow us deeper and deeper with you. 
I pray right now, Lord, for every person in this room, no matter their age, that they would know that you are searching for this in them. That you want this with them. No one here is excluded from the possibilities of living this way in intimacy and hearing from you on a daily basis. So I pray for an increase of hunger and of curiosity and even more than that, an increase of a surrendered heart. And those places that need healing so that we can surrender more fully, Lord, bring that healing in Jesus' name. Help us to loosen our grip on those things that we are holding so tightly to we can't encounter you in a more full way. Lord, I thank you for what you are going to continue to do in the lives of each and every person that is here in this room and how they will be a blessing to each other and their community as they walk with you. Amen. If you would like to be prayed over, you're welcome to, be, to come forward. I think, Julie, are they kind of like, it's just they're dismissed whenever uh, they feel, but just spend this time with the Lord. I mean, before you go, when you go off to TJ Maxx and to, to um, oh, I don't know about you, but that's right now, uh, to, to lunch and all that, I mean, how often do you get this time, right? And it's a Sunday morning, you know, just take some time with the Lord. If you feel like you want to be prayed over personally, then please do that. But, uh, but let's have this time with him. But you are, you are dismissed whenever.